On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to this episode of the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Over the last several episodes, we've unpacked a variety of topics related to caregiving, including how caregiver identity develops over time, considerations in navigating conversations around care and decline, as well as understanding the importance and role of surrogate decision makers. In today's episode, Finding Empowerment in Advanced Care Planning, Trent Cockrum, CEO of Hospice of Piedmont, is joined by Kat Gibson, Vice President of Family Care Services for Hospice of the Piedmont and an Advanced Certified Hospice and Palliative Care Social Worker. You can read more about Kat in the show notes for this episode. Together, Trent and Kat will take a deep dive into the sometimes uncomfortable yet extremely beneficial conversation of making your healthcare preferences known to those you care about, the many benefits of taking a proactive approach to these discussions, and how to document your healthcare wishes. Let's listen in. Kat, uh, thank you for joining me uh, as a guest today on our E-Series podcast. And by the way, uh, let me go ahead and publicly congratulate you for being one of the first social workers uh, to have achieved your advanced palliative and hospice uh, social work certification. So Thank welcome. You so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So, you know, as we've had a lot of conversations, I had the privilege of meeting with a lot of great folks and having some really amazing conversation in, in each one of the episodes that we've had up to this point sort of lead us into a, a, another more interesting topic. And um, in a previous episode, we we had a conversation about surrogate decision-making and sort of what all that entails. And in that are sort of some really, uh, you know, is, an, is a whole other conversation that I want to explore with you today. And that really is about uh, advanced directives and what they are. Um, so let's just start there and just tell our listeners sort of what advanced directives are and let's see where the conversation takes us. Okay. So advanced directives really are um, composed of, of two main documents. There are a few others that may be considered advanced directives, but the two that we're going to mainly focus on today are the living will and the healthcare power of attorney document. And the living will document is a a document that provides written instruction for your personal wishes for future health care, particularly in critical or end of life situations that might result in the decision of life sustaining measures. And the healthcare power attorney document provides the ability for you to identify an individual or two to make decisions on your behalf regarding health care in the event that you get to a point where you're not able to do so for yourself. Mm-hmm. So these are, these are in many ways, these are companion documents, but, but some people may have one, but not the other. Is that right? Right. So they can be um, completed individually, um, but we certainly encourage them to be done together because they complement each other in so many ways. You're identifying the person to make your decisions, but you're also giving them a blueprint of exactly what you want in certain situations. um, So they're not having to second guess 
am I doing the right thing? Am I following their wishes in that mm-hmm. moment? Because the living will really is what the individual patient has expressed that they intend their wishes to be. These are their expressed wishes and the healthcare power of attorney is telling their surrogate decision maker that these are the decisions that I instruct you to make. And so can we talk a little bit about what some of those instructions are? Yeah, so within the document itself, it identifies a few specific situations. So it gives you the opportunity to say, in this situation, I do or do not want life prolonging measures. And this is the this is the living will we're talking about. That's right? correct. Yeah. Um, so within the living will, those three situations that it specifically talks about is um, if you are in a place where you have a condition that cannot be cured and that may result in your death within a short period of time. You're identifying, do I want life prolonging measures if I find myself in this situation? The second situation is if you become unconscious and your doctors determine that to a high degree of medical certainty, you may never regain consciousness. And the third is if you suffer from advanced dementia or any other condition which results in the substantial loss of your ability to think, and your doctors also determine that to a high degree of medical certainty, it is not going to get better. Yeah, so so these are actually sort of codified by uh, the North Carolina legislature as the, the acceptable forms, um, right? Um, That's right. The, the living will and the and the the examples that you just gave and the language that you just gave are standard for all of these forms, uh, regardless of where you get them. Yes, that is correct. In North Carolina, right? Yes. Um, So you talked a little bit about life prolonging measures and, you know, neither of us are doctors. So I want to, I want to make sure we're not giving medical information or medical advice, but life prolonging measures means a lot of things. Um, And, and most of the time in your experience, What is that really related to in this context? So life prolonging measures can be something as simple as artificial nutrition or hydration. So So like tube feeding or tube feeding. Right. Um, And it can get as complicated as being put on a ventilator, a breathing machine. You know, you're to a point where you're not able to breathe on your own. So you need machines to help you. So it can range from something as simple as getting some fluids or a little bit of nutrition um, outside of being able to to, um, take it by mouth as we normally would to do I want to be on a ventilator machine to help keep me alive. Um, It's... um, a, a wide range of things that really encompass life prolonging measures. Yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit too. Um, so many times, and this has happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to you in the course of your career in healthcare, um, you have families who say, well, I have, a, I have a power of attorney. And they're talking about it in this very broad general sense. And, and I want to make sure that we put some daylight between um, a durable power of attorney, which allows you to allows a person, uh, a surrogate decision maker, to make uh, financial transactions or real estate transactions or banking or things of that nature, um, which are generally, you know, uh, uh, re- recorded in a in a durable power of attorney from a healthcare power of attorney because they aren't one in the same necessarily, right? That's right. 
Most of the time, a durable power of attorney is very specific to business-related items or tasks. So like you said, banking, um, real estate, um, transferring assets, and things of that nature. Um, a healthcare power of attorney is very specific to healthcare decisions. Now, on occasion, there may be a clause within a durable power of attorney that identifies a healthcare um, uh, need or who's going to make those decisions, but it's a rare occasion that that's included. And okay. so a healthcare power of attorney is most often a separate document. Yeah. And so the other thing that I think people really um, oftentimes have a a different thought about or a misgiving about um, or misconception about more pointedly is this um, elusive goldenrod uh, uh, do not resuscitate document. Um, and I think many people believe that an advanced directive um, is a do not resuscitate order, but that's something completely separate too, though it is a type of an advanced directive, right? Right. So uh, a official do not resuscitate is a physician's order. It is a physician signed document that you obtain when you decide that if my heart were to stop, I no longer want to be resuscitated. I don't, I don't want CPR. I don't want um, hospitalization or life prolonging excessive measures to bring me back. Um, and that is separate from a living will document. Um, the living will just states, if I get in these certain situations, would I want extra support to maintain or extend life? It's not identifying whether or not I want CPR if my heart stops. Sure. And then also in North Carolina, um, we have what's called a most form, a medical order for scope of treatment. Um, and that too is a type of advanced directive. Um, can you talk just a little bit about that also? Yeah, so um, the most form allows an individual and or their family um, or the healthcare decision maker to have the ability to identify within certain um, areas of care, would I want full scope of treatment maybe the middle road, maybe I want a little bit, but for only for a trial period and for, um, or not at all. I just want comfort care. I don't want it at all. Right. Um, so you have the ability to identify um, within um, hospitalizations. Do I want to go all the time? Do I want full treatment? Maybe do I want to go only if it's deemed necessary, but maybe we'll try and do some things at home or do I not want to go to the hospital ever again? Yeah. Um, it gives you the opportunity to talk about um, artificial feedings, um, uh, nutrition, artificial hydration, antibiotics, and um, do not resuscitate are all things um, included on that most form. So it's a little bit more comprehensive than what you often see in a in a living will, for example. That's right. And the most form is also a document that you complete with your healthcare provider. Um, that document is uh, does require a physician or a nurse practitioner or um, physician's assistant's signature on the document to make it official. Yeah. So in review, we've talked about uh, a living will, which sometimes is also for the benefit of our listeners is uh, uh, also referred to as a, a desire, a declaration for desire of a natural death. Mm -hmm. um, that's the more legal term, right? Um, so we've talked about a living will. We've talked about a healthcare power of attorney. 
um, which uh, assigns uh, decision-making authority to a surrogate to, and, and the, the, the living will itself gives them instruction. We've talked about a DNR, a do not resuscitate order. Um, and then we've also talked about a most form. And if you think about those four things, that's a lot of things to think about. And, and if you think about them happening, you know, over the span of someone's life, I suspect they happen at different times in a person's life. Is that fair? Sure, I think so. Um, I believe that the living will and healthcare power of attorney documents are probably looked at um, maybe a little more in the earlier stages of things um, Mm -hmm. where you're thinking about, okay, if I'm ever in these situations, this is what I want and what I don't want. Whereas your do not resuscitate and your most form are more likely utilized when you kind of get into a place where you've recently learned that you have some health conditions to to maybe filter and and process through um, that might be a little bit more um, detail oriented as Mm -hmm. to what you want at this point in my life versus um, kind of looking into the future. Yeah. I think about it as, as sort of, as it changes over time, you know, what I want at 47 years old, for example, is going to be dramatically different, I suspect, than what I'm going to want at 87 years old, or what I might want if I am in the later stages of an advanced illness. Um, in which case I would likely be having a conversation uh, with my healthcare provider or multiple providers about a most form or a DNR and also having these conversations with my family uh, and my surrogate decision makers too. Um, you know, so it begs the question, and this is a this is a just a really obvious question in my mind, when is the right time to begin these conversations? We've talked about a span of time in just this most recent moment. Um, you know, you start with a with a living will and a and a healthcare power of attorney um, at a, a younger age, and then your wishes change over time based on the circumstances in your life. But when is the right time to have the conversation? You know, in my opinion, I really don't think it's ever too early to start having conversations with your loved ones. Um, life can be so unpredictable, and we may be completely healthy, and some random thing kind of occurs in our life that might um, shift the way that we think or um, the way that we need to live our life. And um, so having conversations early and maybe having the flexibility of having them slowly, because it's a lot of information and sometimes it's a lot of really difficult conversations. And so being able to slowly talk about them over time may be a little easier to digest than having to sit down and lay it all out on the table at the same time. Yeah, I I think I really hung on what you said, and and I think I might even state it as it's making a plan for when something happens that isn't planned. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it, that's really sort of the summation of it in my mind. Hi friends, it's your host, Ryan Biagini. If you're hearing today's episode and you're interested in learning more about how to document your own healthcare preferences, we're here to help. Call us at 336-889-8446 to set up a free one-on-one session to discuss and complete your advanced directives. And now let's get back to the conversation. 
So let's talk about for just a second. I mean, what happens if you don't have an advanced directive? I mean, you don't have a living will. You don't have a surrogate decision maker. Again, we're not, we're not, we're neither doctors nor lawyers. So we're giving neither medical advice nor legal advice, but what, what happens? Right. So every state has their own statutes, um, Mm -hmm. but for the state of North Carolina, um, they have kind of a a law or a statute that identifies a hierarchy list of folks that the healthcare providers are going to be looking at to make decisions on your behalf if you don't have those documents in place. And for North Carolina, this is the the order in which um, they will look uh, for for, uh, individuals. Um, They're first going to look for a legal guardian. In the absence of that, they're going to look for an attorney, in fact, um, or a legal durable power of attorney, which we um, talked about earlier. In the event there's not one of those, then they're going to look at a spouse and then to um, a majority of living parents and adult children. Hmm. So it gets a little more complicated. Right. And then after that, a majority of um, siblings that may still be living. After that, an individual who has an established relationship with you, who's acting in good faith and who can convey your wishes. So it can be a neighbor or a best friend or somebody that's really involved in your life. If you have nobody that they can identify, then the law allows a doctor to make a decision as long as another doctor agrees with that decision to move forward. You know, what's so interesting to me about that is, is, you mentioned this is this is legislation. This is a law, mm-hmm. um, and so this is really not negotiable. Um, uh, you know, this is are you speeding or are you not when you get stopped for you know going in excess of the speed limit? We must follow this order in order to to make these decisions. And one of the things that I really latched onto what you were saying is the majority of adult children or the majority of adult siblings. And I think about that in relation to the myriad of family dynamics that happen within every family. And I mean, can you talk a little bit about how that might even affect the decisions that get made? Yeah. So we have uh, folks in our life, family members that are more emotionally attached to things versus they're able to kind of think in a, in a task checklist type way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may be easier to make decisions for some than others. Mm-hmm. We have family dynamics within every family. There's something going on. Some families are able to kind of put that to the wayside and leave it at the door and handle business and make sure that things are are the way that they should be. And some families struggle with that a little bit more. And so we want to make sure that we're providing the tools to our family to alleviate any stress when it comes to making decisions for your own care. You want to make sure that your things are taken care of the way that you want them to. And so these tools really alleviate the questioning of, am I doing the right thing? Is this what she wanted? I don't want them to be part of the decision-making skills, you know, process because they, they're not ever here, you know, so it, it really um, muddies the water and makes things a little bit more challenging and more stressful um, when there's not a document in place. And, and particularly, I imagine when decisions have to be made 
urgently. Absolutely. Because I think about the complexity, even in my own family, potentially of sort of getting the, the, a majority vote, right, on, on what we think would be the right thing to do. And there are going to be various opinions for all of the reasons that you just cited. Um, and that isn't oftentimes in the, doesn't serve perhaps the, the best interest of the, of the patient, though everybody's interests are, you know, really in the patient's best interest, but there's this element of time that just makes it much more complicated when decisions have to be made much more quickly in the absence of having made them uh, again in advance through uh, a living will or uh, having a healthcare power of attorney, for example. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, you know, what I, what I think I hear you say is, you know, having a healthcare power of attorney is important. Making your wishes known though, through a living will, for example, is just as an important piece, right? Because because you, you really want to make sure that you as an individual have made your wishes known because, you know, it's, we all talk about having control and self-determination of our own lives. And that really is the best way to ensure that when we are unable to make those decisions for ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, it's sometimes difficult to separate yourselves from the decisions that you might be making for another person. So switching gears just a moment to the surrogate decision maker. Um, And it, it really is incumbent upon the person who's giving this authority to make sure they're giving it to an individual who has the ability to make the decisions that they have articulated through a living will, for example. Right. Right. You have to be real cautious when you're identifying who you want to carry out your decision-making when you're no longer able to um, making sure that they are a willing participant, that they agree and say, yes, I think I can handle um, making these decisions for you, even if those decisions may not be the ones that they would choose themselves. Um, It's so important for them to feel comfortable being able to make those decisions in the moments that are needed and follow your wishes that you've laid out for them. Right. And and these documents, I think it's important to note too, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, that, you know, they're, they're not unchangeable. They're not written in stone. When you, when you do a living will and you do a healthcare power of attorney, or even later on in life, if you have a DNR or a most form, they're not forever. You have the opportunity, like many things in life to change your mind, right? That's right. And just like you mentioned earlier, you know, what you want at 47 may drastically be different when you reach 87. And so this document is um, very easily amendable. Um, You just write void across it and you create a new one and make sure that all the appropriate people, the identified um, decision maker, your physicians have a a copy of the new one. It's okay to say what I want now isn't what I wanted 20 years ago Mm -hmm. um, because situations change, relationships change, your health changes, um, your outlook on life and kind of what's important and your, your quality of life is at that point, you know, 
maybe a little bit different. And so you want to make different choices than you did back then. And it's okay to change that. Yeah. You know, one of the things you mentioned, um, I think is, is worthy of highlighting, which is making sure the people who need it have it. Um, Because when there's an emergency, there is, you know, it it oftentimes doesn't happen um, when the banks are open so you can get to the safety deposit box or, uh, you know, you you don't have the the safe um, uh, combination to open the safe right away because you're in a hurry to get to wherever the emergency is, right? Most normally probably in a hospital or some other healthcare setting. And so making sure that your physicians and your treating uh, healthcare providers have this on file is important, but then also making sure as a, as a precaution that the people who are charged with making these decisions on your behalf also have a readily available copy themselves, right? That's right. It's not uncommon for someone to walk in and say, I'm healthcare power attorney and something happened along the way and the medical record doesn't reflect that. So being able to show, hey, I'm the, I'm the right person is so important because like we talked about before, in absence of this document, it defaults to that hierarchy of individuals. And if that's not the individual that the patient themselves identified to make those decisions, it can get real bad real fast. Yeah. So having the flexibility and the the availability of that document handy is super important. Yeah, I mean that's that's all you know, really complicated and things that we don't think about, you know, in the normal course of our daily lives, right? So I think sort of making this, um, you know, as normal and of our uh, of our of our of our life's routines as you know, changing the smoke alarm batteries when the time changes, you know, it's an easy thing to say, let me review my documents again, right? And make sure these are these are good and make sure that the people who are named in them actually have a copy that they need and making sure that my physician has a copy uh, too, right? Um, right. So Kat, you know, we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about, uh, living wills. We've talked about healthcare power of attorney. We've talked about uh, DNRs and most forms. We've talked about the difference between briefly about uh, a durable healthcare, uh, excuse me, a durable power of attorney and how it differs from a healthcare power of attorney and how they're not the same. Um, We've covered a lot of ground. Um, But, you know, one of the most impactful questions I think that I could ask you is, What's something that you really want our listeners to know about this really important topic of advanced directives? You know, I really feel like um, folks get to a place in life where they feel, okay, now's the right time to start talking about this. And usually that time is when they receive a diagnosis or something significant changes in their life. And sometimes processing that hard information and adjusting, you know, life as it kind of follows behind that can be challenging enough. And to add on to that, having these difficult conversations of all of these what if scenarios with your family can be very challenging. So being proactive as best you can before things happen, I think is the biggest um, thing that I can 
encourage folks in the community to do so that it's not so much at one time. Let's take a little bit at a time, as you said, plan for the unplanned and then regroup and say, okay, let's, let's kind of look back to this. Is this still what I want when that big thing happens? Because having to digest and muddle through all of that at one time can be so overwhelming, sometimes physically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually. Um, So spreading all of that out over a course of time, I think is so important. Yeah. You know, I, I, I jotted a note down about that. Just my initial response is approach it from a position of being proactive as opposed from uh, versus uh, a position of dread or fear. Right. Um, so let's make sure that that I have the ultimate control of what is important for me in my life. And I share that with the people who are really important to me. Um, and let's, again, be proactive and not dreadful or fearful about it, because when you have the benefit of making a plan, you, you, you're actually saving everybody a whole lot of, you know, uh, really untoward emotion um, towards the end um, uh, when decisions have to be made. You know, That's right. And emotions can, can alter the way that you think about what would I want? What would I not want? Yeah, right. Um, so it might make it a little bit more challenging to really think about it um, yeah. subjectively. That's a great point. And also, I think it's important to note that in our own organization, uh, people who are interested in this, we have clinics uh, throughout the year that uh, people can come and, uh, you know, complete their advanced care directives. Um, we have a lot of team members who come from our own organization to do that. Uh, each and every year. Uh, And then folks from the community are welcome to come. And even if it's at a time when we don't have a clinic, all they have to do is call us and we'll be able to help them. Is that, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. We've, we've got staff um, at both of our locations um, in High Point and in Asheboro that have the ability to review these documents. Um, We have notaries on staff that can complete the document um, right then and there. And um, you can walk out the door with it completely finished and make copies and give them to the people that you need to and feel comfortable that this is now in place. You can check it off your to-do list. Right. Kat, I so appreciate you joining us, um, joining me today and having this conversation, this important conversation. You know, if nothing else, hopefully the conversation that we've had today is an easily shareable conversation to people who really want to spark a conversation amongst and in between uh, people who are really important to them in their lives um, so that they can begin this process. Again, thinking about being proactive as versus uh, approaching it from a place of dread and fear. So thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. It's always great to have these conversations. Thank you, Kat. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the E-Series. As we close, I'm reminded of a quote artist Candy Chang shared in the TED Talk. Death is something that we're often discouraged to talk about, or even think about, but I've realized that preparing for death is one of the most empowering things you can do. Thinking about death clarifies your life. If you're interested in taking next steps and documenting your healthcare wishes, call us at 336-889-8446. Also, throughout the year, Hospice of the Piedmont and Hospice of Randolph host several Living Smart Advanced Directive clinics. These workshops allow individuals to participate in one-on-one sessions to learn more about and complete their advanced directives with one of our organization's social workers. 
For more information, stay tuned to the events page at www.hospiceofthepiedmont.org. I'm really excited about our next episode, as we will return to our caregiving dialogue by hearing an inspiring story from one of our own hospice caregivers. Trust me, you don't want to miss this special episode. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll receive a notification when it publishes. Until next time, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.